All right, I want to invite you to take God's word and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to be today. We started this Kingdom Project series last week. And I really want to encourage you, if you miss any of these messages, it's critical uh, that you go back and listen to them, download our app or get to the website and uh, listen to these messages as you can go. Uh, I know none of you will miss the next seven weeks of this message series, so this probably doesn't apply to you, but if you do, all right, uh, go online and listen to these messages because they really do build on top of one another. And we introduced this series last week, and I asked you to dream a dream with me. That sounds like a song. Uh, Anyway, uh, here's here's what I want you to think about. Uh, What if... Every member of Champion Forest. And uh, in preaching school, they teach us the prophetic you. So let me, let me say it like this. What if you and me uh, decided, made a decision that everything that we do, how we live, how we make decisions... It is going to filter through. We're going to wake up every day with a burning desire to advance the kingdom of Christ wherever we live, work, and play. I'm going to use my giftings, my skills, my education to make sure that I am advancing the cause of Christ, the kingdom of God, wherever I go. I really believe if we would think about this and own it, and that's what this series is all about, then we as individuals would experience the abundant Christian life that Jesus promised those who follow him would have, and in the process, we would see communities, neighborhoods, cities transformed by the message that we declare. We would see massive kingdom Impact. Now, last week we defined the kingdom of God and we talked about what it takes to enter the kingdom of God. And what we said is being a citizen of the kingdom of God is more than just breathing, okay? It's more than just saying that you're a member of the kingdom of God. Remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, some of the scariest words we find in scripture is not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You gotta do more than just breathe. You gotta do more than just offer lip service to be a citizen of the kingdom. And last week we unpacked John chapter three. How is one, how does one become a citizen of the kingdom? Jesus twice said it, you must be born again. You must be born from above. This is how you become a citizen of the kingdom of God. And if you've never made that decision, this is not something that you can do in your own strength. It's not something you can conjure up. It's not even something that you can explain being born again, but it is something that you can experience when you by faith place your trust in Jesus. And if you're not a citizen of the kingdom, I'm asking you to make that decision today, okay? Today's message, however, is for those who are citizens of the kingdom. And the title of the message, the direction we're going, if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to, you can write it down, calling this message, Seeking the Kingdom. Now, we're going to camp out in Matthew chapter 13, but by way of introduction, if you want to know what life in the kingdom looks like, what kingdom-focused living is, you need to read the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll We'll look at passages in the Sermon on the Mount throughout this series. It's Jesus' first and longest discourse we have in Scripture. 
It's called the Sermon on the Mount because interestingly enough, Jesus didn't give his first sermon in a synagogue or the temple in Jerusalem, but rather in Galilee, he gave it on the side of a mountain, hence the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, he was talking to people who, you know, in many ways were just like us. Um, They had worries and concerns. Uh, They were going through life and uh, they uh, had cares in this life that their heart and mind would go to and that they would think about. And in that sermon, Jesus says to this group of people who just making it through life, Matthew chapter six, verse 33. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. He tells these people there that have all of these concerns and worries and anxieties in life that the priority of their life should, should be seeking the kingdom. That their life should revolve around and rotate around the kingdom of God. Now, last week we defined the kingdom as this, the realm of God's rule and reign through his people. Had a member email me this week and said, as he studied the kingdom of God, his favorite definition is God doing what he wants and his people doing what God wants. That's a pretty good definition of the kingdom. And I want you to remember as we think about the kingdom of God, Jesus spoke more about this subject than any other subject. In fact, all of the, most of the teachings we have of Jesus is set in the context of him teaching about the kingdom. And the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are used interchangeably in scripture. So as you read it, you'll sometimes see it as the kingdom of God. You'll sometimes see it as the kingdom of heaven. It's used interchangeably in the scripture. And it's not meant to be somewhere way up here. We think of heaven and we oftentimes think of some place that we're going. But the scripture teaches that heaven has come down first in the person of Jesus. And he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here in front of you, Luke chapter 17. And then when he ascended back to the father, God sends his Holy Spirit to live in us. And we as mere earthlings created from the dust of the ground are a mixture of earth, but when God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, lives in us, we become kingdom citizens. We are a mixture of earth and heaven. And so we live to extend his rule and reign in the here and now. We're trying to bring heaven to earth as we live, giving people a foretaste of the future kingdom to come. This is the kingdom of God. When I was uh, at Washita. I thought about that this week. I went back to my alma mater uh, later, late this week and I was there for a few days and I was studying this message and just thinking about this whole idea of Jesus as king. I believe it was at Washita as I was studying ministry for the first time that I first came across this old campus crusade discipleship diagram, if you will. I wanna put the image on the screen and for you to see it because this represents your life. Like, our life is, is, is truly, it's like a real life game of thrones, okay? And as you look at the Christ-directed life, for those of us that are citizens of the kingdom, we have Christ reigning and ruling on the throne of our life. 
And typically when Christ is on the throne of our heart, those little dots around the circle there, that represents just your life. And when we're following Jesus, typically there there is a well-ordered life. It's not chaotic when self is on the throne. When we're our own king, going our own way, doing our own thing. Christ is not on the throne, self is on the throne. Typically that life is filled with chaos and disorder. And so our life, truly, it is a real life game of thrones. And in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is going to talk about the kingdom and ultimately who is on the throne of your heart. And I just want to pause in this moment and I want to ask you this question. Does this describe you? Is Jesus on the throne of your heart? Sometimes even as citizens of the kingdom, we have a tendency and a temptation to dethrone Jesus and put self right back up there. Can you say that right now, presently, I'm talking to the prophetic you, not the person sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you. Right now, could your life be described as a seeking first the kingdom life? Christ is ruling and reigning And your life is revolving around the kingdom. His kingdom is the ultimate priority of your life. Does this describe you? Jesus in Matthew 13 gives seven parables about the kingdom. We're not going to look at all of them. We are going to look at three of them today. And a parable is simply an illustration, a story that has a scriptural truth to it. And Jesus would oftentimes talk in parables. He did this for a number of reasons. One... He wanted to reveal truth. If, if he talked in a parable and people really didn't understand what he was saying, if they really wanted to know, they would do the research and find out. Jesus said, if you want to know, seek me and search me with your whole heart and you'll find me. It also concealed truth because people would understand it or listen to it and not really understand it and they just go about their way and they would, they would miss what Jesus was saying. He also spoke in parables because according to the scripture, Psalm chapter 78, that the Messiah King, when he comes, he would come speaking forth in parables. And so just in Jesus' teaching ministry, when he would teach in parables, he's showing people that he truly is the King. Well, in Matthew chapter 13, he explains what the kingdom of God is like because it really is a hard subject to, to wrap your mind around. So he gives these parables, these stories that have a scriptural truth to them. And I want to begin in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. We're going to look at three parables, and we're going, to, we're going to work our way backwards to the beginning of the chapter. We'll start toward the end. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46. And we're going to see when we read this why seeking the kingdom of God should be the ultimate priority of our life. Why, why, Jared, should seeking the kingdom be the priority of my life. These parables are gonna tell us. Starting in verse 44, Matthew chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The number one reason seeking the kingdom of God is important and it should be the priority of every single one of our lives who claim to be citizens of the kingdom is its value. Write that word down, value. 
It was a common practice in the days of the Bible because if you recall, they were all the time going to war with different tribes and different nations and they didn't have banks for safekeeping. They didn't have safety deposit boxes. And so if there was something valuable in the home that was important, that was worth a a price, I mean, it was a treasure, instead of letting their home be ransacked and people taking their goods, oftentimes what would happen is they would go in a field that they own and they they would bury that treasure and they would bury it in the ground so that when that opposing army came and overtake them and, 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 and burn their home, that treasure is protected. It was in the ground. And the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in the ground. And a man finds it, and it was worth so much, that treasure was so valuable, that he goes and he liquidates everything he has in order to buy that field so he can dig up that treasure and make it his own. He says, this is how much value this treasure has. And Jesus is saying, this is how incredibly valuable the kingdom of God is. It's like a treasure. Same with the merchant in search of pearls. He finds one pearl, a great value, And he goes and sells everything he has to be able to get this one pearl because he knows the incredible treasure he has in this pearl. This is the kingdom of God. Incredibly valuable. Now, notice the contrast in this parable. It's like this with the kingdom of God. The man who finds it in the field wasn't looking for it. We don't know much of the context, but he just stumbles upon it. And truth be known, that's how some of us found the kingdom of God. You aren't looking for the kingdom of God. You aren't looking to become a kingdom citizen. You were just going your own way, doing your own thing, and somebody told you about the gospel and the good news of the kingdom, and you found this incredible treasure, and you said, man, that's it. I mean, some of you today, you came into church, maybe you're new to the area, maybe you're invited by somebody, and you're just stumbling upon this whole idea of the kingdom, and when you see it and God allows you to see it, it changes your life. I mean, it's incredibly valuable. Others of you, you're like the merchant. I mean, you were looking for treasure. You were looking for that pearl. You were looking for that that thing that was of great worth and you thought it would be in this relationship, but you got that relationship and that wasn't the answer. And you thought it would be in, man, this, this position at your office and being called by this title and making this much and you get there and you find that's not the answer. And you, you've looked for purpose and meaning. You think this is gonna be value, but then the kingdom of God, you find it. And you go, oh my goodness, and how do you know it's value? Because you've been on a search and you've seen how invaluable everything else is and you, I've got to have it. Jesus says this is the kingdom of God. It is incredibly valuable. There is nothing more precious than the kingdom. And it's worth giving up everything to make sure you're in on it. The second parable, working our way back, is found in verse 31. And not only do we see why should we seek the kingdom of God, because of its incredible value, but secondly, I want you to see how powerful it is. Write down the word power. This, there's great power in the kingdom of God. This is another reason our life should revolve around the kingdom. Nothing else is like it. Extremely valuable Incredibly powerful. Look at verse 31 of Matthew chapter 
13. He put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like the grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make a nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast, some of your Bibles say, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, again, remember the context. Jesus is teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. And in this parable, these two parables, the mustard seed and the the leaven, he's talking about the power of the kingdom. He wants them to understand the kingdom's true power because to them, they were looking for a different type of king. They were looking for a strong king, a military ruler, an Alexander the Great type that would come and deliver them from Roman occupation. But Jesus' kingship looks so very different. Again, we just sang it a moment ago. Our king suffers. Wasn't supposed to be this way in their mind. And so Jesus has to educate them, or I should say re-educate them, on the true power of the kingdom. And so using... Common illustrations, images of the day, he takes a mustard seed. Israel is an agrarian culture. They grow everything over there. And the mustard seed is the smallest seed possible. I mean, you can't hardly see it. And yet Jesus says, the kingdom's like this mustard seed that you put in the ground, and over time, it grows into a huge tree where the birds of the air come from all over and build nests and rest in its branches. Think about that picture here. This is the kingdom. It's going to start small, insignificant, doesn't seem like much, but over time it's going to grow into this huge tree, Jesus. He's the embodiment of the kingdom of God. He comes on the scene preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Seems so small and insignificant. He takes 12 disciples and one of them flakes out on him. He has 11 disciples that he gives the great commission to. He says, go into the earth and make disciples. Remember kingship language. Fill the earth with my teachings. Make disciples. Show them the rule and reign of Christ. And over time, what started so small and so insignificant, like even today, right now, not just in Champion Forest, but churches all over the world, People are hearing the message of the kingdom and they are becoming kingdom citizens. And that small little mustard seed has grown into this huge tree where even today people will come into the kingdom in this service and that tree just keeps growing and growing and growing. Incredibly powerful. Same image with the leaven, the yeast. you, You take that little bit of leaven and you mix it in with the rest of the dough, the flour, if you will, and that little bit of leaven, that little bit of yeast, penetrates and permeates the whole loaf, the whole batch of bread. It's what makes it rise when it comes in that oven, and it just, just a little bit, and yet it makes its way through the entire batch. That's powerful. And it's a picture of the kingdom of God, something that seems so small yet permeates everything. So when we get a glimpse of this kingdom of God, like 
let me get, just whet your appetite for future weeks because we're going to get really personal in this in a couple of weeks because what we want you to do, we want every single person to find their kingdom purpose, their kingdom ministry. That man, when you do this, you feel the, it is the sweet spot of life. You feel the smile of God on your life and you know when you do this, you are exercising the realm and reign of God and you are advancing his kingdom. And it starts so small. I mean, all of us in here, if we do what Jesus said, and we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, we are outnumbered, right? I mean, we're, we're sons and daughters of the king. We are, we are in the kingdom of light, but there is a kingdom of darkness out there, and it's a lot bigger than us. But guess what? Just a little bit of the kingdom. If we go into our homes and into our workplaces and into our neighborhoods and we exercise God's rule and reign and live under his rule and reign, it will be like leaven in bread that just permeates all of society. But we all got to be in it together. Listen to this statement by New Testament scholar Simon Kistemaker. Again, I'm just whetting your appetite for future weeks when we get real personal. Say, hey, do you know your kingdom purpose? Are you exercising your kingdom gift? so that we have maximum kingdom impact. Listen to what he says talking about this yeast, this leaven regarding the kingdom of God. It's a lengthy quote, but man, it's good. Listen to it. The yeast parable further illustrates that this obedience to Christ, living under his rule and reign, wherever we live, work, and play, entails Christianizing every sector and segment of life. The follower of Christ alleviates the suffering of the poor and afflicted. He champions the cause of justice on behalf of the oppressed. He demands honesty from those elected or appointed to rule the nation. He elevates the standards of morality and decency. He defends the sanctity of life. He upholds the law of the lands. He requires integrity in business, commerce, industry, labor, and the professions, medical, legal, and religious. Again, the way that we live is giving people a foretaste of the kingdom to come. He says Christ's follower makes the teaching of Scripture relevant everywhere, that this Yeast of the rule of Christ in human hearts and lives and spheres has already exerted a wholesome influence in thousands of ways and that this influence is still continuing is clear to all who have eyes to see. Scottish theologian A.B. Bruce said these two parables represent the extensive and expansive power of the kingdom. The kingdom of God, why should we seek it? Because there is nothing more valuable and there is nothing more powerful. Now, working our way through these parables, I want us to look at one more. Matthew chapter 13, the beginning, the parable of the sower. And Jesus, as we read this parable, I want the words value and power to be at the forefront of your minds as we think about this parable. Matthew chapter 13 Starting in verse 3, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. 
And the thorns grew up and choked them, and other seeds fell on good soil, and it produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, if you were to continue reading in this parable, the disciples come to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, could you please stop teaching in parables, man? Just tell us what you're talking about. And one of the few times in Scripture, Jesus interprets his own parable. Only happens two or three times. Again, most of the time, he leaves it, says, you want to know what I'm talking about? Search it. Find out the answer. Or just go on about your day and you're not gonna see it. This time he interprets the parable. And as we read this, again, I want you thinking value and power of the kingdom. Look at what Jesus says regarding this parable. He's gonna explain it for us. Hear then the parable of the sower, starting in verse 18. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom, what we're talking about today, and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, and he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. Now, I've got a confession to make. I've heard this message preached, Matthew chapter 13. 20 plus times in my life. I've preached it two or three times. And every time I've preached it, I've preached it like this, that the seed that falls on the good soil represents those who receive Christ and they are the ones who are saved, i.e. they are the ones that get heaven. And the one that fell on shallow soil doesn't get heaven. The one that you know, life's worries, riches, pleasure, choke it. They don't get heaven. None of the other seed get heaven. The one that the Satan comes and snatches away, the only one that gets it is the one that falls on good soil. I don't think that's right. If you put your kingdom glasses on, Jesus is teaching his disciples, his followers about the kingdom. And the picture that he paints here is that a sower goes out to sow what I'm doing right now. And I'm sowing the message of the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Christ, what it means to live under the rule and reign of Christ, what it means to exercise the rule and reign of Christ so that we are bringing heaven to earth and giving people a future taste of the future kingdom to come. They hear this, they hear this message and I'm sowing it as far and as wide as I can. And it's falling on hearts, soil right now. And it's falling on four different types of soil to the sons and daughters of the king. This is not for those who are saved and who are not saved. This message is for sons and daughters of the king, kingdom citizens. And you know what happens? This message of the kingdom is so valuable, Satan knows it. He knows how powerful it is. It can yield a productive life, massive kingdom impact, according to verse 23, 30, 60, in some cases, 100-fold. Satan knows how powerful this message is. He knows how valuable it is. So you know what he does? He lets the seed go out just like it's going today. But for some, 
don't quite understand it, don't quite wrap our minds around it. We, it sounds good, but we really, I don't know about all this. You get to the parking lot to leave the church, kind of excited about the kingdom a little bit, want to work it out, but then you get in the parking lot and it ruins your day. And what do you think Satan's doing? He comes and takes that seed away because he knows how valuable and powerful it is. He wants to discourage you from finding the greatest treasure in all of the earth. He takes it away. And I'm throwing the seed of the kingdom as far and wide as possible and there's some that receive it with joy. You're the second, you're the second type of soil. And you receive it with joy, but the sun comes up. Jesus said, tough times come. We're gonna talk about this in a few weeks, but do you know how the kingdom advances? There are two primary ways the kingdom of God advances in this world. Number one, how do we give people a foretaste of the future? Two primary ways the kingdom of God advances in the world. One, through our service. People see us loving them. The law of the kingdom is love. And that advances the kingdom of God. You wanna know another way that the kingdom of God advances? Suffering. People see us suffer and they see our faith and they see us committed to Christ and they say, man, that person has something that I don't have. Service and suffering are the two ways that we advance the kingdom. And what Jesus says, the seed of the kingdom, this message goes out and we immediately receive it with joy, but then suffering comes. Persecution comes. See, this is a great treasure and it's worth giving your life for, but let me tell you something, it'll cost you everything. You give your life to the kingdom and your heart and your mind revolve around the kingdom, you might have to make some decisions that cost you. I'm not gonna do that in my business because that's not what a citizen of the kingdom would do and it costs you a promotion. Costs you an elevation in your career. Students at school, you sell out to the kingdom, it might cost you some friendships and some relationships because you're just not gonna go there, you're just not gonna do that, you're just not gonna be a part of that. You gotta risk your reputation, it's gonna cost you. God, God could call you to leave your job and go somewhere for the sake of the kingdom. That's the missionary call of the gospel. Leave what you're doing now and go do this and, and, and it's worth it, the kingdom's powerful, it's valuable. But it costs. The kingdom of God and living for the advancement of the kingdom is not for sissies. And the Bible says some, that seed is falling and you receive it with joy. But beware, Satan will use that suffering and he'll try to turn you to where that, that gospel message doesn't take root. And as a result, you don't produce fruit. The other soil so in the seed of the kingdom, and this is, where, this is where I think if I had to lump us all in, myself included, this is where we probably, most of us probably fit into if we had to really give a group. And that is the kingdom of God goes out, but it doesn't produce the fruit that it should. Why? Because life's worries and riches and pleasures are choking the seed and it doesn't produce fruit. Because see, we love the kingdom of God and we want the kingdom of God, but we're like Jesus told the church in Revelation, Laodicea, man, you're lukewarm. You like, you like this earthly kingdom too. As a result, you're not hot or cold. You're, you're unfruitful and you're unproductive. That's what Jesus says. Because life's worries and riches and pleasures 
lock you out of really embracing the kingdom. He says there's a fourth group where production happens. Fruit. And that's when it falls on good soil. And that's why he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The kingdom of God is so powerful, so valuable. But we only experience that when we submit our entire lives to it. So why do we seek the kingdom? Why does our life revolve around the kingdom? Nothing more valuable, nothing more powerful. I mean, your life can produce and yield fruit and spiritual production unlike anything you've ever experienced. That's why our life should revolve around it. It's value and it's power. But how? In the closing few minutes, let me get real practical with you. How do you seek the kingdom? What does that even look like, Pastor Jared? Let me give you three ways. And can we have some audience participation? You ready? All right? Three ways. Get your hands ready. Three ways to seek the kingdom. Get it very practical here. All right? Just put your hands right here and put them on your head. Say with me. All right, on the count of three, let's say head together. One, two, three. Head. All right, you want to seek the kingdom? It starts with your head. This is a mindset. Every single day. It's a, it's, it's a game of thrones. Who's going to rule on the, who's going to be the king of my life today? It's going to be Jesus. It's going to be me. Is it going to be this world? And this is a mindset. Now, the seed that is sown using Jesus' parable in Matthew 13 is the seed of the kingdom. And where do we learn about the kingdom? Right here in God's word. So the head represents giving our minds to the word of God. Because just like Jesus' disciples need to be re-educated and trained, so do me and you. Every single day. That's why Jesus said, uh, Paul said in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You want to live under the kingship of Jesus? It takes every single day giving your mind to the word of God so you remember who the real king is. So that you, you learn what his kingdom rules are. You learn how to live in the kingdom by giving your mind to the kingdom. That's why there's so much in the scripture about the mind. Ephesians chapter 6, put on the helmet of salvation. 1 Peter chapter 1, prepare your mind for action. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. This is a mind game. Jesus said a mind set on the spirit reaps life and peace. A mind set on the flesh Self on the throne reaps corruption and death. You want to seek the kingdom? It starts with your head every day, giving it to God's word and re-educating yourself, retraining yourself on what the kingdom of God is. All right, we got head. Take your hands right now. Put them on your heart. Let's say heart on the count of three. One, two, three. Heart. So we got head and we got heart. Okay? The heart represents the soils of man in Matthew 13. And the soil that produces the most fruit is a soft, fertile soil. We will not have a heart for the kingdom and make it the priority of our life if our heart is not soft. And the only way I know for our hearts to be soft for the kingdom is prayer. God has to do it. He's got to bring the rain. Houston, we know a little bit about rain this past week, don't we? You go outside, I don't care where you go, you get on the grass anywhere in Houston, and you step on any patch of grass, 
and it's going to be soft. Why? Because it's been a downpour. And if we want our hearts soft, it begins by praying. That's the water that gets the soil ready for the seed. And we say, God, would you make my heart soft? God, would you give me a heart for the kingdom? We're gonna spend a whole week on talking about how do we pray kingdom prayers. What does it mean when Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? But this is where it starts, with our heart softened, asking God to make our hearts fertile soil so that the seed of the message of the kingdom of God takes root so that it can produce fruit for days and days and days Finally, we got our head, we got our heart. Now let me see your hands. Hands on the count of three. One, two, three. Hands. Why do I say hands? Because this represents what I do. One law in the kingdom of God is the law of love. And you want to seek the kingdom of God? Seeking it means getting your hands dirty. Showing the love of Jesus to people. Because here's what happens. When we love others and serve others in Christ's name, that is advancing the kingdom. And what happens, and those of you who have done this know this, when, you, when God has used you to bless someone or to encourage someone and you love them in Jesus' name, it shows them the reality of the kingdom of God and gives them a foretaste of the future to come because all that will be in the kingdom is love. But it also does something to your heart, doesn't it? When you serve them and see God using you, it expands your heart and you go, God, that that was amazing. And oftentimes, it does you more good to serve than it even does that person. And so when I say hands, being back at Washita, it was probably my sophomore year. I grew up in a public school in Louisiana, went to this private college where I was studying ministry and I loved my ministry classes. I mean, I ate it. I couldn't believe that I got to go to school to study the Bible. And yet, about second semester of my sophomore year, maybe first semester of my junior year, I wasn't serving in a church. I wasn't using my spiritual gifts. You know what I was doing? I was going to class, and I was learning all these things. And my head was growing big, and my heart was growing small. And you know what I found the answer to the head growing big and the heart growing small is? using your hands, getting to work for the kingdom of God. You wanna seek the kingdom? Head, heart, hands. And as you put this into practice, the rule and reign of Christ will advance in your life and everywhere you live and work and play. This is seeking the kingdom, amen? Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforest.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus in person on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.